Welcome back to the missing page from your history book. I am your host, Abby Alcox. As promised, we are once again talking about the German prisoners of war kept in Wisconsin during World War II. In the last episode, we discussed how these prisoners came to the United States and Wisconsin, as well as the labor they provided during the war. If you have not listened to that episode, I would highly recommend you go listen to it. This episode will make much more sense having the context of why these POWs were here and what they were doing here. What I didn't get a chance to discuss in that episode was the relationship they formed with the Wisconsinites um, while they were being held here. So as you can imagine, these POWs were being held in over 30 different communities. So there is obviously a diverse range of experiences and relationships in those communities with the POWs. Obviously, I cannot describe every single relationship these POWs had with community members. However, I found distinct patterns that emerged while researching this, and those are the patterns I'm going to be discussing today. When these POWs arrived in Wisconsin, some of the local newspapers reported on their arrival, while others did not. Many of the communities that reported the arrival of the POWs included a warning for the public to stay away from these German prisoners. In Reedsburg, the police chief, Frank Camp, was quoted as saying, These men are prisoners of war and are of no concern to the public. They are under the direct supervision of the army, and citizens of this city and community should ignore them. Similar warnings came directly from the military when they were interviewed by reporters about the POW's presence. However, this would be a really boring episode if the Wisconsinites followed these directions. In part, it was impossible for Wisconsinites to ignore the prisoners, because they were working side by side with them on farms and in canning companies, as discussed in the last episode. However, some did not approve of these POWs being used for labor in Wisconsin. Some saw them as taking jobs away from those in the community. In Door County, the Federation of Labor lodged a complaint against the Army for giving jobs to POWs over community members. This came after the Wisconsin State Agricultural Extension Department had placed an ad weeks earlier looking for workers for the Door County orchards and not a single person had responded. After investigation into the Federation of Labor's complaint, those who were denied jobs were denied for reasons other than availability. Door County was not the only place to receive pushback at these POW's presence. A letter to the editor was sent to the Reedsburg Times, outraged at the POW's presence. The author asks, are not these POWs the same Nazis that have violated every law of God or man? Are they not the same Nazis that murdered our boys in cold blood after they had been disarmed? Are they not the same ones that burned and buried alive civilian men, women, and children? The author went on to say that there were plenty of people within the community capable of stepping up and filling the labor shortage. However, this was not the case. 
and because of that, the POWs remained to fill the labor shortage. Civilians were not the only ones displeased by the POW's presence. One common theme was the U.S. soldiers seemed to have an adverse reaction to the POWs. Private K. Kettner was a guard at Camp Rhinelander. Kettner had just been rescued from a German POW camp and had returned to the U.S. to serve out the rest of his enlistment. One day, he cracked for a moment, and he burned an entire POW payroll. Luckily, this was easily replaced, and military personnel covered for him. But it was easy to understand his frustration. The United States had ensured the POWs were fed and kept in good health. They were paid for their work. And very few POWs in Europe experienced anything close to what was seen in the U.S. This was not the only incident between returning soldiers and POWs. In Galesville, Sergeant James Cram returned to the United States after being captured in the Battle of the Bulge. When he finally escaped, he was captured by Americans who thought he was a German trying to pose as an American soldier. When everything was finally sorted out, he spent four months in a European hospital before being sent home. When he arrived home after much rest, he decided to visit an old hangout. There he saw German POWs drinking beer and the guards nearby with their rifles leaning up against a wall. Cram went home to collect his own rifle and returned. He ordered all civilians to leave, lined up the POWs and guards, and marched them all back to camp. After that incident, the prisoners were never seen downtown again. And while luckily the story did not resort to violence, again, it's easy to understand how American soldiers who saw the horrors of the European front to return home to see Germans being treated with such kindness and respect. Now, as a listener, you might be a little bit shocked to hear that POWs were drinking beer in a bar while in a prisoner of war camp. And I do have to admit, when I first read this, I was a little bit shocked. But after reading many accounts, you begin to understand that security was very lax at most of these camps. Yes, they had fences, but oftentimes it was more to keep the public out than it was to keep the POWs in. Another example of the lack of security is in Sheboygan, one POW was accidentally left behind. He walked to a nearby farm to explain the situation, and the farmer was able to call the camp and have someone come and pick the POW up. The GI that was sent to pick up the lone POW was so excited to drive the Jeep, he left his rifle at the camp and only had homemade cookies from his mother to give to the POW, which he shared on the way back. I think most people would imagine that these Nazi soldiers would have been met with a great deal of suspicion and caution. There was indeed suspicion and fear by some. What I was surprised to find was the number of positive interactions with Wisconsinites and POWs. In Sheboygan, POWs helped with the sugar beet harvest. Wilfred Turba, who worked alongside the POWs, was quoted as saying, What were we thinking? 
we actually handed each enemy POW a large knife that certainly could have done great damage if used as a weapon. There was never a report of a POW turning on a community member, or a guard for that matter. In fact, in Reedsburg, one woman recounted how she was followed home by one of the camp guards. She ran in fear that he would assault her. Luckily, she made it home safely, but her father did not allow her to return to the factory. Reflecting on her experience, she mentioned how she never feared the POWs and how they always treated her and other women with respect. Some of the POWs in Reedsburg actually befriended some of the children. James Polish was a child when he met some of the POWs down by the river. One who spoke broken English showed him his iron cross and told him the story of how he earned it, while another boy learned to tie a knot and catch turtles from the POWs. Neither boy seemed to fear the prisoners, but were rather fascinated with them. There were countless examples of farmers extending kindness to the soldiers working for them. They would often invite them inside for lunch and feed them from their own kitchen. One factor that greatly helped the relations between the community members and the POWs was Wisconsin's large German population. Wisconsinites were able to communicate with these POWs and connect with them. In fact, some Wisconsinites still had family in Germany. Some German Americans in the Chilton area traveled to the camp to talk with the prisoners. They hoped for news of family members left in Germany, although it was unclear if anyone was ever able to obtain information. However, one family in Sheboygan was reunited. Robert Lawrence remembers being visited by three POWs, only to discover one was his uncle on his father's side. His uncle had been given permission to visit his brother after being assigned to the camp in Sheboygan. Although he, like the rest of the prisoners, were eventually sent back to Germany, it was remembered as a happy occasion. It's also interesting how propaganda influenced both sides. American children, having never seen a real Nazi soldier before, expected to see these inhuman beings with devilish horns when the Nazis arrived. This was due to the propaganda that dehumanized the enemy and portrayed them as monsters. However, on their arrival, the children found men that looked no different than their fathers. The children, however, were not the only ones influenced by propaganda. For example, hardcore Nazis truly believed German planes would fly over the Great Lakes and attack the United States. A German teacher in Plymouth had trouble convincing POWs he was talking to that the Empire State Building had not been destroyed by the Germans. The propaganda the Germans received in Germany made many of them skeptical of American news sources. However, the longer POWs stayed in the U.S., the more they began to understand that what was being reported was true. And as I discussed in the last episode, some began to like it here so much that they returned after the war. It's also important to realize that German POWs were not a singular opinioned group. Just like in Wisconsinites, people had different opinions. There seemed to be 
kind of two different groups. There were those who believed in the Nazi system and truly believed in what they were doing, and then there was those who did not believe but fought for their country. A quote by Jerome Rinzel, whose father worked with the POWs, sums it up pretty well. My dad said that there were two kind of POWs. The vast majority, regular people, easy to speak to and get along with, and a small group of die-hard Nazis who upbraided him for being so unwilling to help the great German fatherland in its worldwide struggle. In many of the instances that I read, the people of Wisconsin did not seem to have a great tolerance for true Nazis, but were willing to connect with those they saw as ordinary people. It definitely leaves you with something to think about. Wisconsinites during World War II found a way to make peace with enemy soldiers. I only went over a few experiences, but there were countless more examples of Wisconsinites extending kindness when it would have been easier to hate the men fighting a war against them. And not only kindness from the Wisconsinites, but also the POWs. One POW made a doll for one of the camp commander's children. And I think there's a lesson to be learned from this, especially in today's world, where Americans seem so divided. If Wisconsinites can find a way to make peace with Nazi prisoners of war, shouldn't we be able to find peace with our neighbors? There are many more accounts, and if any of you are interested in learning more, I would highly recommend reading Stay Like Wisconsin by Betty Cowley. She interviewed numerous people about their experiences and researched all of the camps. I also wrote my senior paper on this topic, so if there's any interest in reading that, I can send that out. Please let me know if you guys have any questions. I would love to hear what you guys think and what your take on um, these POWs is. I want to thank you all for listening. Please, if you liked this podcast, share it with your family and friends. There's a Facebook link in the description you can follow to get updates when podcasts are posted. That is also going to be the best place to leave any feedback you have. I'd love to hear from you all, so please leave your comments and suggestions there. This is Abby Alcox from The Missing Page from Your History Book, signing off. See you next time.